everyone, and welcome back to Behind the Mask. I'm one of your co-hosts, EJ, and joining me today is Lori. Hello. And T. Hey, everyone. This is episode 23, which we're calling Transitional Masks of Mind and Body. Just a friendly reminder that anything discussed in this podcast is not to be used as a diagnosis or a replacement for conversations with your own doctors, therapists, psychologists, or other medical professionals. And I think when we talk about the transitional mass of mind, body, you know, we're, we're talking about age, we're talking about health, your cognitive changes, your, how your brain changes as you age, um, your emotional, you know, traumas that cause some of that to happen, um, physical changes as, you know, you grow from, you know, a kid to an adult, you know, how, you know, we always joke about in like, you know, hit your thirties and you start having those extra aches and pains that you don't like used to not have. And, or you, you, you do something on a Saturday and then Sunday, it's like, uh, I found a muscle that I didn't know I had <laughs> because you're, you know, in pain. Um, so, and, and, and I think a lot of people like, um, I, I think Tina, Tina will share a little bit today about, um, you know, she's turning 50, Lori just turned 50 a couple years ago. So that was a big milestone for her. Um, and, you know, I'll be 40 in a year and a half and change. So that's a big milestone for me coming up. Um, and, you know, there's also, you know, with your mind too, it's like job changes, your age, like as you change from like a teenager, having just maybe a, you know, a, a bagging groceries job to gr like growing in your like education and your age, as in, you know, you get a different job or you get a new job. Or like, for me, I had a job for like eight years that I really liked as a kid, you know, as a deli worker, but it wasn't a, there was no, uh promotion in that <laughs> like it was just gonna be that so I had to like transition out of that and then I was unemployed for some time and I transitioned into taking care of my parents and then you know I was blessed with an actual job doing the caregiving and now I'm transitioning into a new job which I will talk about a little later so I think um yeah so I, I guess Tina let's talk a little bit about um the cognitive because I think that's going to be where it is like cognitive we're talking like um you know as you get older your brain changes sometimes you have um you know ADD ADHD some of those mental um things where you can't function or you can't focus for long periods of time you can't um you know uh sit still because I know sometimes I joke that I am but I'm, I don't think I am I just think it's a it's a anxious habit of mine um, but then there's also, as you age, there's Alzheimer's and dementia that can set in that can also be in the family that all of a sudden you hit 50 or 60 and you start not remembering where certain things are, or you start thinking you're 20 years in the past and how that can impact people. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first thing that comes to mind is just talking about developmental stages of the brain and how it works. And you know, when you're a kid, your brain is, um, I think if I remember correctly, it's like 95% um, fully formed by the age of five. So as far as structures, like all the structures are available. However, they're not being used. Those get uh, come online as they, as a child learns things. Um, and so they build uh, neural pathways. And um, what I find really interesting about early developmental uh, stages of the brain is that um, it it is not fully functional 
uh, people do not use the full capacity of their brain until they're in their mid twenties to you know late twenties. Um, and so I often joke with my adolescent clients that uh, the comparison of their brain to my brain, the structure is there is just not they're just not using it. And the part that's not fully developed until your mid twenties is uh, the part that helps you plan, helps you think things through, understand there's consequences to your actions, um, being able to regulate your behaviors and your emotions. Um, and so that's what makes being a teenager so difficult is there's these expectations of them being little adults because they can think in ways like they can add and subtract and they can form sentences and they're starting to understand that the world is a social structure around them and starting to see patterns, but they don't understand them yet. And so we put a lot of pressure on them to uh, be able to manage themselves uh, as adults. And ironically, half the, most of the adults that are expecting this of them barely have it themselves, if at all, uh, to be able to manage their emotions and behaviors. And so, um, so that's just an area that I find very interesting um, and uh, feel like you know, we can do some things around that. And then the, the next part of the developmental stage, so we peak about mid-20s to mid-30s, where we're, our brains are like sponges. And I mean, well, even as a child, our brain is sponges, but there's something that happens in that, like that 10, 15 year span where we are um, operating at our best and, and we're just quick, we can do all these things. So those are great times to learn and start a new career. However, about mid thirties, mid to late thirties, something happens in our brain. So one of the things in a neural uh, pathway, uh, those neurotransmitters on, there's a, like this little leg, if you were to visually look at it, and it's got this wrapping around it called the myelin sheath. And that's a fatty tissue. That's what helps information go from one neurotransmitter to the next quickly and efficiently. But at about 35, we see that that sheath starts to shrink which means we can't, uh, information does not move through our brain as quickly. And that continues to deteriorate over the time. Over time. And there is some truth to use it or lose it at that point uh, for folks. So it's really important to keep people over 35 to keep their brains active and um, to stay on top of it. Mm -hmm. And I know that I was in my mid thirties when uh, I started my uh well, mid to late 30s when I started my master's degree, and I really noticed that learning and using the information efficiently was not as easy <laughs> as it was. Right, and was that's younger. why it's encouraged for kids to go to college mm -hmm. when they're 19 to 25, because your brain can suck up more than it can as you, you know, until right. a later but we're, age. We're still expecting those young 18 to 24 year olds to be able to plan which that's right. not yeah, a, a part can. of their yeah. brain that's on that's yeah. at its peak yet <laughs> well, and, and so. I was thinking that the other key piece because you know I went to school older just like you and it is that you don't have any life experience to go along with that's that. why that's not formed Right. completely yet that's how it gets formed is to get life experience right and so i i'm sure you found probably similar to me the life experiences that i had already lived through 
in my mind, definitely compensated for the fact that I had to work a little harder to do some of the core things, you know, of education. Absolutely. Um, and where, where I definitely shined as a student, as an older student, was the applicability and the, um, the, the complete full understanding of what was being presented to me. So I felt, I mean, I was actually grateful I went to school later. I mean, I'd only done a little bit of college in my younger years, just, in, you know, back in the day when the dinosaurs roamed, we didn't have to have degrees to have a good job. And well, so <laughs> not only that, like, I know I did a little bit of college when I was younger too, but I didn't have the attention for it. I, I was too, too distracted by the world and yeah. figuring that yeah. out. Yeah. So anyway, I just on the wanted education. to bring that up. I really enjoyed going to school later and actually found that I learned so much more right. when I went later, you know. Well, and I think like I did do college early. Like I, I was, okay. So when I graduated high school, I couldn't wait to get out of there. And I wanted to take a year off and just have a job and just see if I even wanted to go to college. And I got a, you're not, you're going to college direction from my parents. And um, I signed up and I went to a local community college. I just took like one or two classes a quarter. I took me five years to get a two-year degree. Uh, I was miserable. Uh, I think I walked out of there with a like 3.8 GPA because the classes were super easy because it was stuff I already had known. But it was just like, you're, you're forced to take these classes that you already know everything about because you have to have it on your record before you can graduate. And it's like, yes, I could have taken the classes or I could have like challenged the classes and like tested out, but they're always taking that chance that if you test and you fail that test out test, then, then you're stuck taking it anyways. So I didn't bother doing that. And I think now like I have a friend or Lori and I have a friend who literally she waited, she had done some school, then she uh, went and just had a career for a while and decided about three years ago, four years ago, that she was going to go back to school and finish her bachelor's. And then she finished her bachelor's last year. And then she did a, a one-year um, extended accelerated accelerated class uh, program to get her master's degree from a different university. And she's 49. So she's, you know, and now she's got her career. So it's like, it's a, it's a milestone, a major milestone for her because now before she's 50, you know, she, I, I personally, like, I don't know if I could do it, but I'm like super proud of her for doing it. <laughs> so a, a little bit to what you're, you're speaking to there, <clears throat> excuse me, is that that's the, that's the piece of that, what 18 year old knows what they want to do in five years. Right. You're expecting them to, we're expecting them to invest into an education and they can't, you know, planning five minutes down the road is a challenge, let alone five years down the road. Um, yes. And that's complex thinking. It really is. And it requires so much and it requires experience to draw from. Right. So now granted, when I was 18, I would, I could have told you that being a therapist was on my list of things I would like to do, but so was a bunch of other crackpot ideas. You know, <laughs> I didn't even graduate high school. I got a GED and it took me a couple of years to get to that because I was like, what's the point? I didn't understand. I couldn't until I did. 
Yeah. And then that's the, that's, you know, I got my GED, you know, pretty, uh, my early twenties. And then I thought I'll go to college and, but I got a, I got a certificate in clerical, a clerical and word processing certificate. Now here's where that was done. I had social anxiety. I couldn't go get the job as a secretary because I was too scared, you know, but I didn't, it seemed like a good idea. So I did it. Now, thankfully I was able to use those credits in the future, but I didn't know that I could have, I could transfer those credits. So yeah. I had a lot of life lessons to learn and, right. and whatnot. So I think that, like I said, expecting, well, and kids start applying for college as well when they're 16. Yeah. You yeah. know, they're taking their SATs and they're doing all this stuff and, and then applying for colleges and they don't even, they don't know how to hold, have a bank account half the time. Right. Yeah. So then we, you know, we're talking school age, we're talking like, you know, mid to late thirties now, and then kind of hit your forties, your body starts changing more, your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking too, so as we grow older, uh, we're, we're getting up the, the age range here. Um, we are I, probably due to socioeconomic reasons, we are retiring much later than, than we used to retire. Um, what was national retirement age? Like 55? Yeah. You know, and isn't 55, you're considered a senior, right? You get your senior discount. Some places, yeah, some places you can still get your discount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get your AARP gold member card. Right. <laughs> I, I don't even know if they have one of those. But anyway, um, but, and, and I find it interesting because there's still a couple of commercials out there that kind of lean towards that. But I've noticed that there's more and more that are leaning, I mean, really until you're more 60s, almost early 70s now is, is much more likely to be a time that you would retire. Right. Well, my retirement wouldn't be official uh, as far as my benefits until I'm 65 right. at least. Right. They actually encourage you to wait two more years, I think it is. Yeah. So 67. 67, yeah. And that's um, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because we're right. going farther in the age and and our society. Yeah. And I wanted to also touch back on. I find it really interesting, and I I'd love to at a maybe a future date or whatever dive into this concept of what we expect of teenagers, and then you know because like I was watching a, a legal show last night. And they were debating whether to try this 17 year old as an adult or as a child. What were the motivations? What, were, what was the intent? How much does he understand, you know, or not understand? And, you can know, he be rehabilitated. Right. Can he be rehabilitated? Um, it's just so interesting because, you know, and I ran into this with, um, you know, my own oldest son who joined the Marine Corps. He could sign on the dotted line and sign it, you know, basically to say, 
I give my life for my country. But then in this country, he couldn't rent a car. Right. Because he wasn't considered old enough. You had yeah. to be 25. And I thought, wait a minute, you can hold a gun and die for your country, but you can't rent a car. We can drink, we can gamble, we can, and all the ages yeah. at which we do these things. I, I feel that in many ways, society missed the boat there. Like, why do we consider a 17-year-old an adult man or woman? Right. Well, I don't understand that. Yet they're, they're not, as we joke about, they're not finished cooking upstairs. They're not even done yet. I and think, so I do think that's another episode because I, I think that's one of those things that it's like, there's also the, the level of crime, the level of damage done with the mm -hmm. crime. And is this person likely to do it again when they're 18, 19, 20, 21? I mean, is this going to continue for them if there's not something done about it now? And, and that would, yeah, that would make sense. So yeah, yeah. But it is a very serious question and a valid discussion. Yeah. So let's definitely table that for now. But I think we right. should go back to that because it's just such a huge psychological, mental, emotional piece with the foundations of our very lives. And then right. what, we go, what we do from there. Yeah. And it and that I think there's a lot of factors and you know, we'll definitely come back to it because I have a lot to say on that. Um, I you know, you mentioned your son being having been in the Marine Corps, and I was thinking. Like, you're right. Like, he joined pretty much, like, high school graduation, and you join. And a lot of guys do that. And a lot of guys become lifers. And that's 20 years. You know, like, to them, like, they can retire from the military in, like, 20 years. So by the time they're 40, they could actually retire from the military. And then and it's like, now what? Career. Yeah. And so a lot of guys will do that. They'll take the GI Bill, which is an opportunity for, you know, if, you, if you're listening and you live out of the country... GI Bill is, you know, an, an opportunity for the, the military service people to get another education afterwards if what they were doing in the military cannot translate into um, civilian life. And Which it rarely does. Right, right. It's very rare. But, I mean, there's computer system programming and stuff like that that, like, they can translate into, like, um, civilian life or work for, you know, subcontractor for the military. So there's different opportunities, but I just feel like you know, we're talking about that now you're like, you're late forties and like, you're retiring from service there. You're like, you're literally retired. And it's, it's crazy to think that. And then you get this next career and then you, yeah, you're, you're sometimes in it. Sometimes you struggle. There's, I mean, how many veterans are out there that don't have jobs or are struggling for work because of X, Y, and Z situation, or, you know, maybe they were, a certain, uh, I don't know, not a high rank in the military and they maybe didn't, they were just a soldier and, you know, gun toting soldier. And then they get out and it's like, now what do, like, we have no like direction. And then it's hard to think about a direction. And even me at like my mid thirties, like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing 10 years from now. <laughs> like, I don't know, like I'm 30, 38 and a half. What am I going to be doing when I'm 48 and a half? I don't know. <laughs> I have I a hope. hope. I, I'm hoping it's in a new direction you're going. So I, you know, I, I'm, I'm confident it's going to be, but you know, and that, and that's, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit later too, as we talk about like emotional and physical stuff too. But is it as we go, like, 
around their late thirties, early forties, around when some of our more severe uh, medical diagnoses start to happen? Sure, because um, the cells in our body have a shelf life, I guess is my theory. Um, you know, so we, things peak and then they come down the other side. And so things change in our body, including our immune systems and, in, in, you know, the wear and tear that our bodies go through um, just through basic use, let alone those who've been hard on their bodies or through, you know, hard work, et cetera. So yeah, we're going to see an increase, a sharp increase in certain um, diagnoses, medical diagnoses. And um, unfortunately, that, that is a thing. And then if people don't have good access to medical care throughout their lifespan, that can also impact how they're going to age because they wouldn't have had, you know, knowledge or anybody tracking uh, their system, basically. Right. You know, it's interesting too, I would say, just you talked about that, your physical. Hmm. So one of my favorite surfers, um, you know, everyone assumed he'd be retired by now. Um, just won a huge event, you know, and he's, what? Kelly Slater? Uh, yeah, Ke yeah, Kelly Slater um, is who I'm talking about, but he just he's still winning these events next to teenagers right um in a very difficult sport not one that you can just anybody can walk on and do right and not that any actually most sports if you're really good at it nobody can just walk on and do it um but what i've noticed is and again you know i know it's really easy to kind of rabbit hole here but with the technology of today with the science that we've learned, our bodies were able to um, keep them at a different level longer. Um, there's much, there's Tom Brady, um, you know, think of all these athletes that are doing their sports careers um, much longer than we ever did before. Um, typically, but if you were more than 30 years old and you were in a professional sport, oh, you were yeah. a senior citizen. Yeah. You know, whereas now we're seeing 40s, 50s. I, I was watching a motivational video about this like 80-year-old lady who's um, you know, doing bodybuilding stuff and she's got this really amazing body. And I'm like, how old are you? Like, I can't do I couldn't. Right. <laughs> but I just think technologically we've advanced to where our bodies that shelf life we've learned how to uh extend the shelf life of those cells yeah well and and even like for example um you know i'm like we said at the beginning i'm getting ready to turn 50 there was a time that was considered senior like we talked about earlier like i was heading into senior years and and certainly the generations before me that's what it was. And so my mentality as I, this year, as I started approaching 50, I was like, when did that happen? How did that happen? What does that mean? Right. What does it even mean to be 50? You know, it used to be such a big deal. It was such a, a huge number um, as far as meaning and whatnot. 
So I decided to combat that. I normally don't celebrate my birthday. I don't make a big deal out of it. Um, just, I don't know, just never have. And I was like, maybe this year it would be fun because, man, everybody could have fun with that. You know, I'm, right. I've got a sense of humor. So I passed it on to my kids and they're planning my 50th birthday party <laughs> later this year. And, and they are having so much fun with it. And um, so it's really exciting to watch them do that. And I figured kind of some of my age is how I think about it. So, and now, like you're saying, Laurie, right now at this point, actually 50 is considered middle-aged yeah. and it's not senior. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so I'm good with that, but it has been interesting to watch the uh, observable physical changes that I'm yes. going through. Yes. And at first it was a little bit d disturbing. And then I was like, no, I kind of like it. Yeah. Like, I see changes happening in my face. And, um, and, and one of the times I thought, oh, I'm starting to look my age. And I'm like, but that's not bad. It's not right. a bad thing, you know, I kind of like it. I'm society, comfortable with who I am. Perfectly polished, you know, and yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, and I think there's a lot of that too. Like I, I was thinking back, my parents had this grand dream after I graduated high school of their retirement years. Um, my, it was planned that, you know, my dad would retire, my mom would retire. And while I was home with the pets, taking care of them and working a regular job, that, uh, you know, and had taken care of the house, they traveled. And two years after my graduated from high school, my dad's health took a serious turn for the worse. He was forced to retire a year early or a few months early. Like, so he, he got his 30 years, but it was just like on the borderline. Like it was super, like he had um, 20... 25 years, no, 20, 24 years civil service for the military. And then he had six years active duty. So he got a 30 year of that service, but he was forced to retire. And that was not what he planned on doing. And, you know, and then five years later or so he's losing a leg and then he's losing another leg and my mom's struggling with her health. And so I, I, I am, I feel bad because, you know, technology can be great. Like you're talking all these sport people that are, you know, but like you said, it's like having the access to the healthcare, like these pro pro sports players have access to like everybody, Thanks. but just your general, you know, middle-class family doesn't necessarily have that access. And I think that factors in a lot with your physical, your mental, your emotional and spiritual kind of health when it comes to all this, because had my parents had the financial means and the ability to have better medical and better access to it, like we were living in an area where there wasn't a lot of medical and all the specialists were an hour ferry ride away to Seattle. And, you know, when you have a mom who's, you know, wasn't a fan of, you know, traveling that far for medical and stuff and just going to Tacoma was a big, you know, feet for her it was hard to get to these places to have these specialist appointments so you know both of their health kind of kind of deteriorated and thankfully 
what was going on with mom, I was able to, like, I was old enough. I, I could drive. I had a car. I could take her to Seattle and I wasn't scared to drive on the road. Sorry, mom. I'm, you know, calling you out on that one. You were afraid to drive on the highway, <laughs> but the access to that stuff and, and, you know, and, and yeah, an hour away is not that bad. A lot of people travel that, um, but it's always a financial piece, you know, and I, I, you know, then you're sitting in your lake. Let's see. So my mom would have been, and, and also my parents had me super late in life. My mom was almost 40 when she had, or no, my mom, my dad was almost 40. My mom was 33 when she had me. So by the time I was 20, she was in her mid fifties. My dad was almost 60. And so here I am, you know, like a 20 year old and my parents are super, not old to, you know, standards, but compared to my other friends in that age, like I had friends whose parents were 10, at least 10 years younger than my parents. So it was always kind of odd to, you know, talk with my friends and, you know, compare things because my parents were going through a lot of stuff that their parents have like 10 years before they even get to. Right. Um, you know, it's interesting because we, a lot of, um, so we're talking about all these transitions and I think, I don't know if you were a part of, of the church yet when we used to do um, kind of um, our small groups and Bible talk groups and these things used to be based upon your seasonal life. So it was just kind of interesting because the groups were determined um, where you were seasonally within your life. So were you a career young or college person? Were you, um, were you young marrieds with no children? Were you young married, young families or, and, and older families together because the older families would mentor the younger families, you know, the marrieds. And then, and then you had your, you know, um, uh, well, back then we didn't even have, very few bodies had singles. Uh, for the older singles. Um, oh, yeah. But, um, <clears throat> and then you basically had, you know, retirement, and widows, you know, all of that. And so you were uh, empty nesters. Yes, that's a lovely term. <laughs> I hated that term. Um, but because I remember that was one of the changes, you know, I had to go mm -hmm. through because you know, that I had this full house, right? And we, um, I'm sure T, you can, you can uh, speak to this, but, you know, there's something um, about we're raising children, right? We're doing all of these things and our life is full and rich, we hope anyway. And we're, we're doing our jobs, we're at the peaks of our careers, we're, we're having, you know, children, they're getting, right? And then all of a sudden, especially especially the moms um, for some reason. Um, but even fathers who are connected in where you lose your way because you're like, wait a minute, now what do I do? Now here's yeah. my transition, right? Now mm -hmm. what am I doing? What yeah. where is my focus supposed to be? Because it's been about raising the, the next generation and getting them off and doing all of these things. And now you're like, uh, who am I? 
because you've lost yourself, right? Because you poured everything you had, most of us do as parents, pour everything you have into raising these children and being a good spouse and, you know, doing all of these things. And then you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing now. I don't know, you know, how, how do I move forward and how do I rediscover myself and realize that I've been, you know, going to um, high school sporting events and even social events and, you know, proms and, and graduations and all these things. And now I have no focus anymore. I don't even know where, who I am and where I'm supposed to be. And it can have a negative effect and turn positive, or it can have a positive effect if you, if you have the right mindset going into it. And I like what you said, T. I wanted to be positive about it. So maybe this year, you know, let's celebrate this, right? Rather than mourn it or grieve it or, you know. <clears throat> and you and I, T, we're working on a project together about, you know, toxic positivity. We don't want to have that, but we do want to have a purposeful view, um, a purposeful take on what these next stages are. How do we transition into them? You know, so, yeah. Well, and I think, um, yeah, I think it, it having that intention, that, that ability to um, make the best of things and, and do that is great. One of the things I kind of wanted to go back to just real briefly is, as EJ, you were talking about your parents and Mm -hmm. um, how things were so far away access and you, you even qualified it a bit like, yeah, I know it was only an hour, but here's the thing when you're sick, that hour might as well be five or six right. and the amount of energy it takes to do anything. It's kind of like the spoon theory. That might be something we can right. talk about at some point. So, you know, they, there's only so many spoons available to each of us each day. And right. so how we use them is important. Amen. 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 Um, yes. So, okay. So outside of age and cognitive, um, we also have emotional and physical um, transitions that happen. Um, what? Oh, I don't know. I Currently, I feel like I'm going through a lot of that right now based upon some choices that I've made and decisions I've made within my life. I'm kind of tackling, if you will, a lot of emotional and physical um, transformation. I chose bariatric surgery because my body was definitely not cooperating with me. Um, and definitely emotional. Um, I've shared, you know, in this podcast before, I didn't, um, just like many others out there, I didn't have an easy upbringing. It wasn't, it was filled with a lot of trauma and it was filled with a lot of um, abuse and neglect, if you will. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy thing. And those, those emotional traumatic things that happened to me it would be interesting, T, I think, um, I can't remember if you and I talked about this before, but 
trauma has to slow down um, or halt different um, developmental stages that we would normally have. And so <clears throat> I was thinking that definitely certain things, and all I can do is speak from my own experience because I'm not a professional, um, but I know that certain, certain things were definitely halted or slowed down or stopped. And I've seen that in my own children because of some of the, especially my younger son, I think because of some of the very specific trauma he went through, it stopped his ability to develop mm -hmm. at the same rate as <clears throat> some of the people his own age and where he is at, right? Right. That, that happens. I don't know. Where did T go? She's having some technical difficulties. We're trying ah, to okay. text back and forth about what's going on. So Okay. Okay, good. Um, well, anyway, I just think that we'll, we'll keep talking about it, but I'm hoping that T will be able to address that. It's got to halt some of that stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. And I've even seen it in the medical field, like just in general, like, you know, you have somebody who goes through a traumatic experience at a young age and that halts not so much their full development, but definitely like certain mental and cognitive developments, which yeah. definitely goes along with what we've been talking about with age and, you know, how, you know, as Tia explained earlier, you know, even just your brain isn't really fully functional until your mid twenties. So you don't quite have the tools at a young age to deal with that because you either haven't been taught it or your body just, your brain is just not ready to handle it yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know in counseling, they talk a lot about our uh, our toolbox, you know? And mm -hmm. so I I would say that some of us, and I know, I know I had to develop some of those tools later on in response to all that trauma. I couldn't develop them maybe when I normally would have um, <clears throat> based upon the, just the normal ecclesiastical cycles of our life, right? And so, you know, I've had to develop some of those later on in life. And, and that's why we talk so much and we always share in the beginning that it's so important to have your counselors and doctors and psychologists and all of that because they can help you develop those tools that we all need to face these issues, to get through these things, to, to successfully transition mm -hmm. into the next thing, it's really, really important to have, um, you know, those like Tina in our life, because without them, some of us might not ever develop those appropriate mm -hmm. tools. And uh, I love it. We get a thumbs up. So, um, yeah, I'm, we just texted that we're, yes, we're on the right track. So. Okay. Yes. So, so apologies um, for the, the technical difficulties here. Yes, we'll thanks thanks everybody out. for going through this with us, but, um, yeah, so I just think that's why we, we stress how important that is. Right. Because, because without that, I know I wouldn't have developed into the person that I am. And I wouldn't even be able to make some of the choices that I made this year, the, mm -hmm. the bariatric surgery, the, you know, the, I have my own house, I'm living alone. I, I hired my first um, male caregiver. 
uh, the other day, my son, yeah, I had to friend. check and make sure I was on the right, uh, right phone call when I heard that. Cause I was like, uh, is that Lori speaking? What did right? she just say? But you know, and he's so sweet and gentle and kind and he's a perfect gentleman. Um, anyway, it's been amazing, but because of my domestic abuse, because of my past hi hiring a guy would have never Right. Like that just wouldn't happen. And not only, I mean, because I have to trust him. We're here, we're often alone, you know? So I was saying to my counselor the other day, I think that some of my new confidence that I feel like I have is coming from, because of all of the counseling and the time that I've put into building these emotional tools, I feel much better in my ability to read people, to have discernment, and to just know and acknowledge when I'm in maybe a not safe place or a, a, a negative environment, um, or when there's all these unhealthy people. Um, I feel like because of all the work that I've done over this last few years, I have a level of confidence when I'm sitting, I was in that interview and I felt like, no, I think I understand where this person, this guy is coming from and what he could offer me and do for me. And, and I, I prayed about it and, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to hire him because I think he fits everything else that I need. And it doesn't matter that he's a guy. I don't have to worry about that. Whereas previously with all of my, um, you know, emotional walls and, you know, um, just a real inability to, I mean, I remember being traumatized in our church because we're very, well, before the pandemic, we're a very huggy, touchy, feely church body, right? And I used to just panic when brothers wanted to walk up and you know hug me or I mean even do the polite little side hug I was like yeah. I was just frozen sometimes I right. could barely move and now I've opened up my home and invited a man in to help with my care my right. physical care so just well, huge leaps and bounds yeah yeah and I I am super proud of you for that and I want to say that you know you alluded to something you said you felt like you were having a problem back then reading yourself, reading people. Mm -hmm. Because when you thought you found somebody, he turned out to be a monster. So you had that instinct taken away from you I did. in a very bad way. Yeah. And it's taken you a long time to grow and learn that, you no, know, you weren't. He was just hiding and it was on him. Yeah. He yeah. hid that from you on purpose well yeah and so you had that choice taken away from you and now you've grown to realize no i have good instincts on people i know these guys if i'm meeting this man i'm i'm gonna hire him because i i feel like he's going to be an asset to my care team yeah and that's a huge milestone for you like that's big it is it's really huge because it, and it was very empowering. And, um, 
yeah, like I said, it, I, I feel a level of confidence that I didn't have. And thanks for that reminder, because I did for a long time. I questioned every decision, everything that I and did. And rightfully so. Yeah. You had just gotten out of a nasty domestic violence situation with two children who were traumatized from it, yep. yourself included. Yeah. Yeah. And you had every right to be skittish of anybody, male or female. I know. I primarily so male. Yeah. But all of you have grown from it. Yeah. Well, and then, so that's interesting that you say that because, so here I am starting to identify um, all these things and grow and put these emotional tools in. And, you know, we kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier. We talked about looking our age. Um, and, you know, we live in a society where we, we want to look polished. We want to look perfect. We want to we don't want, we don't like to show weakness. Um, uh, you know, there's all these things. We don't want to be too overly emotional because then that's being too vulnerable and, you know, and that can get us hurt. And so I was thinking, I didn't even realize. So one of the things I identified was that my weight, um, the weight that I had put on since my youth had become this very, huge, literally and physically, um, emotional security blanket. Mm -hmm. The weight protected me from the world. And so one of the things that I was finally able to identify <clears throat> in my counseling and other stuff was that I actually, in my, in a different way, was completely traumatized, if you will, by a lot of the women in my life, because when I was younger, um, and you know, you and I have talked about this before, um, Aaron, um, I, I had an amazing body. I was an athlete. I, um, I kind of had that Marilyn Monroe. I had, you know, it was very shapely and, and, um, I just, and the women in my life, especially then, were jealous, right. mean. The, uh, and so as I put on the weight, right, the men stopped being attracted, right? Yeah. But then guess what? Guess what the, the women, the women the wanted to be my friends. Yeah, they, because they, they didn't, weren't intimidated and weren't, uh, they, there was no, um, there was no competition. Over. There you go. Yeah. yeah. There, it, there was no, there was no need to be jealous of me anymore because the men didn't care about me anymore that way. Or, uh, you know, I'm not saying that because I know there are some people that, you know, anyway, that's a whole nother discussion. Right. But, but, but for me, in my, in my mind, that weight made that possible. And so just the idea of losing weight. And I said this to, to T and another good friend of mine who's a counselor and my own counselor. I would rather, I was at a point that I would rather walk through a vat of acid than to lose the weight. Because to lose the weight meant that I was going back to that very vulnerable weak where I wasn't strong and I couldn't make these decisions. And now I would be overwhelmed with all of these other things. Of course, it's not how it's been. 
um, which is amazing. But I think that the reason it hasn't been that way is because I chose to do it, to do this whole process with counselors, with lots of therapy, with lots of help, you know, learning mindfulness, learning, and also enriching my own personal faith. You know, um, I got to share on T's podcast, you know, that I really feel now that I have a relationship with my heavenly father. Whereas before, I think I was just the good soldier. I would, you know, and I say that all the time, I'm a good soldier, give me a task and I'll do it. You know, give me some rules and except for my little inner rebellious side, which I think we all have, I'll do whatever you legally, you know, I'll follow the laws, I'll do my best to stay in line. I don't like to rock the boat too much, you know? but Tina and, says um, some of what you're saying is what Lori's is speaking to is our ability to be flexible, which can help transitions be positive. Yes. Transition can mean growth. And she said her opinion, Lori, is now that you're taking down the wall to protect you from the world, who's going to protect the world from you? Just saying. <laughs> Ooh, I am Lori. Hear me roar. <laughs> I like But that. it's I so like true, that. though, because you're finally taking yourself back. Yes, yes. I'm really become. I'm, I'm discovering. It's funny, you know. I had these little visions of it, right? I remember after my first divorce, you know, I literally didn't even realize who I was outside of that marriage because I was married very young to my somebody that I'd known since my early childhood, and I'd just gone from being at home with mom and dad to being married, and so I really didn't feel like I knew anything about myself. And I remember I'd gotten this new job working at a bank and we were in all this training and there was, we were learning about how to read our customers so we could serve them better. But it really helped me to inner reflect, right? And I remember the first time I went to a grocery store and I was pulling out a bag of peas or something. And I was like, wait a minute. I don't even like peas and I put the peas back, right? It was just huge. I know it sounds so simple, but for me, it was this huge thing of, I don't need to watch that movie anymore or do eat that food because it, I realized I didn't like any of that. And then unfortunately I met the monster in between there, right? So it kind of stunted all that. But I feel like I've come back to that point in my life where I'm discovering what I like, the music I like to listen to, the activities that I like to do. And it is a fine balance. Um, one that I'm not always comfortable with. And so we should probably at some point dig into this a little more, but I do struggle sometimes with all of this self-discovery and self-learning. I feel like it can be a deterrent um, to what we have as traditional roles within our faith. Um, as a faithful person, somebody who follows Jesus, right? We are asked to live sacrificially and, and selflessly. And I just, I'm struggling with how exactly do I do that? How, how do I know? So this is where I definitely am, am still learning and growing. How do I know 
when to sacrifice something, when to put my selfish desires aside, or when am I being selfish and when am I being, when am I engaging in self-care? I think this is something I, I'm really struggling with and I, I don't have that balance yet. I, I will often sometimes have feelings of guilt or doubt because I'm like, am I leading people astray when I'm saying, go learn how to focus on yourself, you know, go learn how to learn what you like, you know, and, and I, I am learning, I'm learning that Jesus was very mindful. Jesus was very engaged in self-care. He often went off by himself. He often prayed alone, right? He yep. ate the right things. He fasted. He did all these healthy, he took care of the temple. And so because I haven't taken care of the temple for so long and have all this emotional baggage, I'm really struggling with that balance now. And I'm just right now being very transparent and vulnerable, but it, I'm really struggling in that area. I haven't figured that balance out yet and, and I'm seeking it, you know, right. but well, and I think seeking it is the important thing is that you're willing to learn and you're willing to read it and study about it. And, and like you said, you know, some, like, I don't even, I think somebody told you or reminded you to like, look at Jesus because Jesus did do self-care, but that wasn't a term 2,500 years ago when the Bible was written and all, you know, Jesus, his life was starting to happen and stuff. So, you know, we see this now, like, yeah, Jesus went off to pray by himself, um, he had his handful of friends that he trusted, you know, he didn't have a thousand, you know, people, you know, he didn't share everything with everyone, um, but he did self-care. And well, so that Tina, Tina says that the Bible teaches us that God is looking to transform us. I do like that. Thank you. Amen. And to grow us. That tells me that we matter enough for self-care to give us strength to serve others. I like that. Thank you, yeah. Tina. Um, and, and that's, yeah. yeah, you think about it, you know, it's like glass half full, glass half empty. You know, it's like, if we, we view ourselves as half empty, then, you know, if we're emptying out our glass, how can we give to somebody else if we don't have anything in our glass? Right. That's how we go to burnout, which is why boundaries are so important right and then how and it's such the, a disturbing the, thing how do you know which when where to place those boundaries and, and i'm you know. i'm going to teach somebody a, a word it's there's this really cool word in the english language it's called no it's two <laughs> letters <laughs> no you're allowed to say no just saying uh, like i understand okay i understand <laughs> i understand as a christian we're asked to serve to serve others to help others I fully support that, but if that service takes away from me going to a doctor's appointment because I need to make sure my temple is okay, that's when there's a boundary that's being crossed because I have to take care of myself. Yeah. You have to take care of yourself as well because yeah. God asked us to take care of the temple that he gave us. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And that's where we have to lay our boundaries down. And what well, it's finding that balance. I'm really glad you said that though. Yeah. Enabling versus service. Yes. Yes, Tina. 
And right. And I think nervous. Yes. And, and I like, yes, you know, like, please, you know, like if you're in a part of a church body and you guys are going to go serve, do it if you can. If but you can. when, a, when a church invites, you know, it's like, Hey, everybody, this is what our service project is. If, if you can't go, it's okay. And I was once shared and advised, you know, cause tithing is, can be an important piece of church life. Right. That's a part of service. But if I make say $500 a month and $50 is 10% and that's what I should be tithing, which is kind of the, the standard. Right. Right. If yeah. I can't financially give that $50, cause that means my car doesn't get gas to go to work and things, then how am I going to supplement that? Well, I serve in so many different ways. I'm serving on the singles in the singles ministry. I'm serving at church. I'm serving on the worship team. I'm printing lyrics all the time for the lyric worship team. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. I am serving in a way that I can do it if I financially can't tithe. We put too much emphasis on the financial piece right. when tithing isn't just because tithing, actually the definition of tithing is has so much more in it it's so so much right. complex and it's about but it is and, right you know, but it is a great opportunity for tithing for people who have the financial ability who may not be able to serve like right. there's people in the church who unfortunately they have a very uh time time crunching job that takes most of their time and they are not able to come out on the weekends and do things because they're working etc and you know what tithe because that's something you can do and if tithing financially is not something and that's you know at our church you know it's like we say you know if you're a visitor don't feel obligated to give you know we're not saying like every person that walks in that door has to say you have to give x amount of dollars a, a month or x Thanks amount you know. because that, and, and that for some is a deterrent you know for going to church because i don't want to have to you know give them money so no. and not me saying that, but like, that's yeah. a lot of the mentality people have. What well, I think when you have a healthy body church or otherwise, right. In our own mm -hmm. lives. And right. When we are, then all of that is working together. Right. Create and healthy balance. Exactly. Right? And that's, and that's why we're, it talks about in the Bible as well as that we're all this big, like we are a body, right? You can't have a body full of eyes. You can't have a body full of arms. You can't have a body full of feet because it's not a body. It's just feet. Right. You got to have, but all if we have a balance of two eyes, two hands, two feet, and we all work together. Some can do something and others can do something else. And we all come together and we make a church body and we make a serving body. Yeah. So I think the pressure that you're feeling of like doing X, Y, and Z or others, you know, maybe that's in similar situations, you know, like find boundaries, find ways of giving in the ways that you financially and physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually can give. You know, it's interesting because I know you've heard me talk um, with some of the, um, you know, I co-facilitate this chronic illness group mm -hmm. and I've had a couple of them throughout the years and you know, one of the things, since we're talking about transformations and positive and negative ways to do this, um, it's hard when you have chronic illness because you have to grieve the loss of some of the physical things, emotional things that you can't do anymore. And 
there are, whether we like it or not, I, I call my, I often will say my body's hijacked me today and it's in control. And I, sorry, I can't follow through on that thing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's very hard as a, a follower of, of Christ is figuring out when I can or need to say no, because my body, my spoons, um, aren't allowing that. Right. Mm -hmm. But we, we feel guilty. We feel because we've missed, you know, the last three Sunday services and we've only made it to one midweek. And, you know, we, we want, there's a desire and a heartful intent to want to do some of these things. But when you're chronically ill, a lot of times you can't, you can't participate right. or you can't participate even fully. So it is about learning that balance of, how do I, when do I say yes? When do I say no? And how do I let those things go? You know? Yeah. Well, and I, and I think there's a fear too, you know, you want your yes to be your yes and your no to be your no. And, you know, you don't want to commit to something. So there's, and I know I found a lot, there's a lot of people that can't commit to things and that's understandable. And even I say, you know, I will do my best to be there, but I'm not making any promises. You know, cause that's- you know, say God willing and the crooks don't rise. <laughs> right. So, you know, and I, I'm, you know, and I'm not saying like, don't go to church at all or, you know, but if, if you're physically like you broke your leg yesterday, you don't have to go to church. And I was, well, I think when my dad passed away, he passed away on a Saturday night. And I said something about, I got to go to church. And I think it was you who said, uh, Aaron, I think you're allowed to miss a day of church, <laughs> but I didn't, I wanted to go. And like, I wanted my aunt to go, you know, cause she was visiting, but I'm like, yeah, I have no desire to go and, you know, like, I love being there, but like, that, that was like, I could not have mentally been there that truly. No, that day. no. You and everybody understood why I wasn't there and, you know, and it worked out, but, you know, it just, I felt guilty for not being there. And, but I had to remind myself that in this moment, like God understands yeah. and I still took communion and I still prayed and I still had yeah. my quiet time. Um, yeah. So, and I think, wow, I, well, we've talked about a lot today. I think, yeah. you know, I think, you know, we talked about transitioning and ages because I, you know, we talk about, um, you know, we did talk about a little more on the cognitive side, but there are those times when you are diagnosed with Alzheimer's, dementia, early onset dementia, early onset Alzheimer's. And or, I mean, yeah. what I have, or, yeah. and it can cause, you know, cognitive issues where, um, you know, I learned about Alzheimer's when I was in fourth grade my fourth grade teacher explained it to us because she, her mom was struggling with Alzheimer's mm. and she's like, yeah, she's like, my mom could literally look at a pen on the table and say, what's that? And not remember what it was. Mm. Um, or, you know, she could have lived in this house for 50 years and still forget how to go to the bathroom or like where the bathroom is just, and right. that's, right. and that's stuff like sometimes you come out of that enough to like, oh, I couldn't find the bathroom. But then like an hour later, like you're like, where's the bathroom? And then it's like later you think, oh man, I really forgot where the bathroom was. Like, and then you start putting that pressure on yourself. It's like, oh my God, like what's wrong with me? Why is this a thing? And mm -hmm. then you learn, like get this diagnosis and it starts happening and you're like, great. Um, and so, yeah. you know, and I, I'm finding, you know, I have a family member who's starting to struggle with some of this, you know, cognitive um, deficits as she hits, you know, I think she's in her late seventies, early, no, she has to be in her late eighties now. Sorry, I don't remember my aunt's age, <laughs> but um, yeah. So it it's it can it can definitely be um, a huge transition 
and a huge learning curve for you and the people around you, just like with any chronic illness. And it takes grieving time. Um, yeah. And, you know, and we talked a lot about ages and how our, you know, the ages can affect how our brain does translate all of that emotion and physical and stuff. And, you know, we, we didn't really touch on, and I'm sure we'll go back to this at some point in the future about, you know, how, and I, and we have talked about it in other podcasts about how trauma can affect how we associate things. Yes. Um, you know, some, you know, I, I PTSD, I mean, post-traumatic stress disorders is from, you know, is the whole gamut of, you know, something major happens to you that causes stress and it's, you know, it continues afterwards. That It's interesting because we, we look at these things and I was just thinking, because it's the way my brain works and I'm trying, you know, okay, so what can I do to combat those things? What can I do to help those transitions, you know? Um, and I was thinking in my mind, there's this concept of uh, resiliency, which is one's ability to bounce back, if you will. That's a very um, simplistic way of, of talking about resiliency, but it is our ability to, um, yes, it is our ability to, to recover, um, to respond and bounce back to, to all of these different transitions that we're going through. So how do we, and one of the things that I've been learning a lot about in this last couple of years, which is I think what's helping me um, and if I know you're listening, correct me if I'm wrong, but I honestly believe that building up my resiliency is what is allowing me to be this healthier, um, more discerning um, person that I'm becoming, um, transitioning into, right? And so I'm trying to identify purposeful things versus toxic, just automatic go to, go to what's the positive, what's the silver lining? Because that's kind of my, for me, I didn't realize, but going to that silver lining was always, it's kind of my way of uh, running away from it. Um, this is a big revelation for me, but you know, finding that silver lining for me became this toxic, if you will, positivity within my life where I didn't get to truly learn and grow from the situation. I just put a positive spin on it so that I could move on, so that I could sustain some kind of life giving force through whatever it was and the darkness that was surrounding me. Wow, these are big revelations here. So what I've been learning in the last two years is that definitely Tina says, Resiliency will definitely allow transitions to be smooth and can make it positive. Yes. So good resiliency is how we get that good positivity versus the toxic positivity. And that's, yeah, that's what I've been learning is, is so the mindfulness, the self-care, these other, and all of these tools are applicable in so many, all the things I, I listened back to a couple of our episodes and there are things that just come up every single time and it's mindfulness and it's self-care and it's, you know, 
sleeping hygiene and eating properly and, and all these things, they all have to do with yes. resiliency. They right. all have to do with how does our body come back from? How does our mind come back from? How does it respond and, and in an appropriate, healthy manner right. versus that toxicity that, that most of us tend to, to go to right off? It's the, the crutch. Toxicity is the crutch. Right. So, and, I, yeah. and, you know, again, you know, surrounding yourself with people in the same stages, stage as you, same walk of life as you. Yes. Um, people who've already been through it. So you can get, you know, get guidance through that, you know, um, seeking out counseling, seeking out therapy. Um, yes. You know, having those people that you can go to. Um, and, and that may even just be, you know, a trusted worship leader at church or uh, an elder in the church, you know, people who can help guide you through it or, um, you know, there's all sorts of programs and, you know, a lot of, um, there can be group therapy sessions for people who, you know, are struggling with it. Well, let's get you into a therapy session with a group of people that can do this, you know, are going through the same thing. So there's all those different ways you can combat it. You know, self-care is definitely an important thing too, whether it's journaling and, you know, just writing down your feelings, whether it's, um, you know, getting an extra massage a month or something to help you kind of just process through the pain maybe of a, your body changing. Um, but yeah, so I'm sure given, you know, I know we'll have updates and things to talk about in the future. So we'll definitely uh, tackle this again. Um, yeah, I want to close with this. Tina talked about what we're doing in this time is we're redefining success. And I really like yeah. that. We thank you um, right. T, for that. We, that is a huge part of resiliency. We are redefining what success looks like and feels right. like and is. And when success is healthy, yeah. then it's, it's just this beautiful thing. And it's, um, it does actually attract other like-minded people and, and you find yourself just being in different situations. And now all of a sudden you're, uh, you know, kind of like me, I, I hired my first male caregiver. I'm happily and successfully living alone. You know, mm -hmm. um, I don't run around my house scared of the boogeyman right now. You know, I mean, um, please, if that's your issue, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, you know, right now I don't have to worry about that because I'm not so afraid anymore. I'm not so triggered and whatever, because I've been able to redefine and, and be resilient and learn resiliency. So yeah, I definitely want to come back to some of this again. This is huge. I, yeah. I really feel like <laughs> even in this process of this podcast, which we kind of joked about before, I feel like, wow, that was just um, very eye-opening, even for me. So, yeah. Yep. Well, just a friendly reminder that anything discussed in this podcast is not to be used as a diagnosis or a placement for conversations with your own doctors, therapists, psychologists, or medical professionals. This episode will be available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and more. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Behind the Mask PC. And if you don't use social media, you can email us at BehindTheMaskPC at gmail.com. Feel free to review us on Anchor, leave uh, feedback on the platform you listen to us on, because we'd love to hear what you think. Um, if there's a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, let us know, and we'll see about making it happen. You can find me, EJ, on Twitter and Instagram as EJ8302. 
uh, teased other podcasts that we talked about earlier is called Our Journey with Jesus Podcast. And you can find that on Facebook. And you can find Lori on Twitter as Carpe Sparrow, C-A-R-P-E-S-P-E-R-O, Lori L-L-O-R-I-L. Um, on Twitter and Insta- or on Instagram and Facebook, you can find her as Carpe Sparrow Lori Lee, L-E-I-G-H. And on behalf of the ladies and myself, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.